Well, good morning, Gateway. How are we feeling today? Hey, that's one of the better ones we've had whenever we've preached in this morning. You have to have a little bit more energy today. It's not the cold. Trust me. I know that. And no, these are uh, not part of the sermon yet. I just wanted you guys to see them. Uh, but hey, can I open up with prayer? I think it's something we need to do, right? Let's pray. God, you have continuously led me. You've continuously led them. And yet, God, whenever I'm reading here in Psalm 51, over the past couple of days especially, in verse 10 it says, God, create a clean heart for me. David's writing here, and he's just made some really big mistakes. He's committed adultery. He's had somebody basically murdered. He's lied. And he's been confronted about it. And yet his prayers create in me a clean heart. And God, I was thinking just this morning, is it possible to have a clean heart? Is it possible for us to even have that for us? Because if David, the guy who is after your own heart, is asking for one, well, it has to be something we can achieve, right? No. And how do I know that? Well, shortly after this, after he is asking for a clean heart, he continues to make mistakes. So God, our goal is not to have the most perfect heart because it's impossible, but it's for you to create something new in us. And when it comes down a little farther, he says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, create in us something that we have never experienced before. A steadfast spirit, one that is able to last, one that is maybe beyond what we could imagine. Maybe this new spirit is something that we need just to get through the next hour. God, I don't know. But God, create in us a new heart. Renew a new spirit within us. Do not banish us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. And instead, rejoice, I mean, restore the joy of your salvation to me. God, may my words not be mine, but yours alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we are continuing on in our series, The Sermon on the Mount. And I hope you have enjoyed this. This is a really long one, but there is so much information. And as we've kind of briefly mentioned over several weeks is that you're gonna see a lot of things where we wanna camp out. I've, I've said this to you a couple weeks ago is you're gonna be like, Philip, stop. Let's talk about that for a second. Stay focused. There is a time and a place for that. This sermon series is big picture. So the whole time that we're talking today, try to view it from a blimp. You're looking down and you're trying to say, okay, Jesus, what is the point you're trying to make? Why are you taking this moment to record the longest sermon in scripture that, that you told? Why is this your first moment? What is it that you want us to know? And last week we talked about three things, giving, prayer, and fasting. Now, I don't know about you, but fasting is not something I like to do, or actually, if I do, if, I, if I'm going to be honest, I don't do it very often. And I think that I'm not alone in that. Fasting is hard. Maybe as a kid, you were taught, maybe if you grew up in church, you were taught that fasting, you, you get rid of food for 30 hours. We did that one time when I was in student ministry, whenever I was actually a student, it was the worst thing of my life. Why? Because after 30 hours, they gave us pizza, and then we all threw up. 
And then to top it all off, on hour 40, because we were past that, now we're still hanging out for two days, we did the gallon challenge. Does anybody know what that is? It's impossible. It's where you take a gallon of milk and you try to finish it in an hour. You're either going to die or throw up. So whenever we talk about fasting, maybe that's your image of it. Fasting is the thing that, that you give up food for several hours. But understand that fasting can be fasting from anything that you are dedicated to. Fasting can be from social media. It can be from a meal. It can be um, maybe from coffee. It can be from anything that you hold dear. Fasting can be considered anything that you are, I'm going to say it, addicted to. Fasting is taking your mind off of a routine that you have, the something that you always have to have, or at least in your mind, and you give it up. And instead, you insert maybe prayer, maybe some extra scripture time, maybe just quiet time, and you're taking that time for God. And we also talked about prayer, creating a place where we can go, where we should go and pray. You have people who have prayer closets, maybe prayer chairs, you have prayer seats. I don't know about you. I do my best prayers in the morning. I can't sit down because I'm usually up pretty early. I'm just going to fall asleep. Guarantee it. Promise you, my bad. Can't feel too guilty about it. But creating a place. And we also talked about giving. Now, this is the awkward moment where a lot of people either stop coming to church or they avoid that week when we talk about giving. But the reason that we talk about giving is because Jesus has a lot to say about giving. There is something that's going to be said about the material stuff, the stuff that money can and can't buy. And so we as a church need to understand not only what the Bible says, but how do we live every single day with it? Because we can't avoid it. So how do we handle it in a biblical way? Albert Schweitzer once said, if you own things that you cannot go without, then you don't own them, they own you. So it's not a matter of if you are to do these things, meaning should I fast? Should I pray? Should I give my money? This is really hard for me to give up these things. It's a matter of when you do. And then let's go another step. We talked about how it's not just a matter of if, but rather when, but also with what motives. Meaning that if I'm going to put a $100 bill into the thing and I want to look at somebody else and be like, you're shaking at me and you just put it in there. I put 100 in. How much did you give today? If that's your motive, then don't give at all. If your motive for fasting is to put it on social media, hey, I'm fasting for this moment right here, then you're missing the point of what a fast is for. If you're praying and you're just wanting to stand up and be as loud as you can so that everybody can hear how holy you are, well, then maybe you should rethink how your prayer life is actually going. Jesus actually puts down the Pharisees because he says that they stand out in the street corners and, and they start yelling as loud as they can because they want to be heard. And he says, don't be like that. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and with what motives. Why are you fasting? Why are you praying? Why are you giving? Now, it's not an accident that we chose Psalm 51 to kind of open up this morning. You see, Whenever David is saying, create in me a pure heart, that means that he's wanting to fix his motives. He's wanting to change his priorities. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bible, if it's on your phone, or if it's actually you know, a hard copy, go to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be starting with verse 19. Now, while we're reading this, if something maybe sticks out to you, maybe you're, you're, you're again, like I mentioned, you're a highlighter, underliner, you're with me, I'm right there. But pay attention 
to what Jesus says to do and what not to do. So we're going to read this whole section here. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice he says heart. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, well, then your whole body will be entirely of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, well, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate and love the other or be devoted and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a nerd here this morning, okay? If you guys know me, I'm, I'm just a big nerd. I'm just a big kid. That's why they pay me to hang out with students all day, every day. I collect these things. And if you're like, hey, what is this? If you call it a doll, I will throw something at you. This is an action figure. Let's get that straight up here, okay? If you go into my office, I have several of these. If you come to my house, my wife has allowed me to have one corner of the house where I have some of the more popular ones, okay? I don't get the whole house or even half the house, but I get like one sixteenth. But these guys right here, I go through a season to where I just loved collecting them. I love Captain America. I like Marvel. I like The Office. These are things that I collect because I'm a nerd. But there's something about these things that kind of changes them. And it's the box. You see, the heavy collectors here, they like to take these things out of the box and, and then properly preserve the box. Whenever you're trying to buy one of these, if you're like me, you want a box with as little damage as possible. Because if there is even a little bit of damage, the value of that thing drops tremendously. For instance, this guy right here, you can barely see it but there is a large dent right here. You know what that tells me? It doesn't matter. Its value is so much less than this one because of the box. And yet we treat this world as if all of this stuff matters. We treasure up so many different things. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your house. Maybe you're just trying to gain as much money as possible for maybe the future. Maybe... You look at your kids and they're your treasure. Maybe you love shoes. Maybe you love clothes. And what Jesus is saying here is do not store for yourselves up treasures on earth. Because there's going to be a day where this matters none. Absolutely none. Because the value is in the box. The value is what's inside the box. It's the plastic. It's the name Captain America on it. It's the Hulk here. But to our brains, to a collector's mind, and this thing especially, this has less value than this. But to somebody who doesn't know, they have the same value. At least they should, right? But yet, whenever we look at Scripture, he says, do not store for yourselves up treasures of this earth. Instead, store for yourselves up something so much more. And that's heaven. 
He says, whenever you, you're, you're, you're going through your life and you're walking through your life and you're treasuring everything else about your life, stop worrying about what you're going to wear and the treasures that you're getting on this earth. Stop trying to build up this massive reputation of yourself because ultimately at the end, it's not gonna matter. We might be able to build up something cool. You might be able to build or create something. But can you sit here and tell me exactly who made your clothes? Can you tell me who created your brand? Could you tell me who was the very first person to drive the very first car of all time? Without reading a book, you probably couldn't because people will be forgotten. Your legacy will be forgotten. The things you own, the cars you have, everything will be forgotten. And Jesus is saying here, how about you stop focusing on those things and you start focusing on the things that can't be stolen, the things that won't be taken? Because like this, let's say you're the box. Let's say you're the fun code. You're the action figure here. Your value is not in the box. Your value is not even what's inside the box. It's rather who made it. And that's Jesus. You are the one that Jesus chose. It's not about the clothes that you wear. It's not even about the, the, the skin or the physical body that you have. It's all about who Jesus created you to be and that's made in his image. Don't store for yourselves up those treasures. Now, I wanna back up for a second. These next three sections that we're talking about is a thing called competing priorities. When we're talking about competing priorities is that Jesus is going to give you two things and your brain's going to say, I wish I had that. But then you're going to look at your life and realize I'm doing more of this. So whenever we're talking about, especially treasures, we want to build up treasures. And Jesus says to build up the right treasures. How about you put treasures in something in heaven that are indestructible and secure? Last week, we shared the quote, when we invest what God has given to us to impact the lives of others, we can trust that the results will make a difference both now and for eternity. It's not about what you have now. It's about what we're building for later. And it's only through Jesus. Well, then the second thing that we see, we have number one treasure. Number two, sight. Whenever he says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be, he's taking your heart and now he's moving it to your eyes. He's moving it to what you see. And if we're being honest, the stuff that we see, we want. Our natural bend, meaning who we are, is that we see something and we want it. When we look back at David, David saw Bathsheba bathing on a roof and he's like, hey, I want that. So he let his eyes go to where his heart was, which created a treasure. And he's making it pretty simple. If our eyes are healthy, then we have light. If our eyes aren't healthy, we have darkness. Whatever we look at, whatever we see, the things that, are, that, that, that we allow ourselves to see, it's either light or darkness. The eye is the lamp of the body. It is the thing that guides you. It's the thing that gives you light. It's the stuff that we allow to see. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And there is no darkness. Why is he saying that? Well, then let's go down to the third part here. Number three, allegiance, meaning who you serve. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate and love the other or be devoted and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You're either committed to God or you're not. And we could just stop right there and say, hey, that's the day. He's saying that if you're going to love the things of the world, then you can't love me. 
If your eyes see it and that's what you want and you have no focus on me, then you're not serving me. If you're building up earthly treasures and you're forgetting the heavenly treasures that I've promised you, then your eyes aren't healthy. Your allegiance isn't to me. The things that you have, you're not committed to me. You're committed to them. And as we said, look, big picture here. What is he talking about? If I could sum it up in one sentence. If we are going to follow him, then our hearts, the priorities of our heart, can't be divided. Warren Wearsby says this, investing your heart in the things of this world will result in spiritual loss. You will be trapped in spiritual poverty. And here's the thing about God is that he's jealous for you. Meaning he doesn't want to share you. And for some people, we look at that and we get a little uncomfortable. Where we're like, well, wait a second, God. That sounds kind of weird. But let's go back to the focus verse that we read here in Deuteronomy in verse, uh, chapter 4 where it says, Be careful. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. That means that God wants all of you. Whenever you read in the New Testament about how he, he, he hates, he, he vomits lukewarm people out of his mouth is because he wants either all of you or you're going to want none of him. And he is a consuming fire. He's jealous. He wants all of that. So that means that our devotion, everything else is about that. Okay, so let's move on a little bit further here to a section that I personally wish we could stop. If we weren't looking from the, from, from the blimp here, I wish we could stop here and have a 13-week series on this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. And remember, we're talking about competing priorities. Our brains say this, our body says this, we wish we had this, but instead we're doing that. Therefore, if you're seeing the word therefore, a good rule of thumb is to find out what it's there for. So we just read all of this about treasures, about eyesight, and about allegiance. And then he says, don't forget this. Therefore, if your treasures are in heaven and your eyesight is on me and your allegiance to me, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. If there is something that I wish that I could just sear into my own brain and then just quote it over and over again and it just fix my life, it's that phrase right there. As a person who naturally worries, whose, whose natural bend is to be anxious, People have said, hey, Philip, just don't worry. And it's like, oh, there's the secret. That was easy to remember. But you can agree with me that that's not the case. There's still some kind of competing priority in our brain that says, I know what this says, but my natural bend is here. And I'm here to tell you, don't let that justify it. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life about what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. And notice he's talking about physical things. He's talking about food. He's talking about clothes. Things that every single person in here needs. Every single person. He's not talking about the best chariot. He's not talking about the best horse. He says, no, you're talking about clothes and food. Let's not move past that. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow and they do not reap, meaning that they don't put the seeds down and they don't gather them back up. They don't store them away in barns and yet your heavenly father, he feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour 
to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that even Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, who went, set out on this journey to find happiness and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these, meaning he had it all and he still wasn't fully happy. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, meaning it's completely useless. If you have a field and you know when it's time to, 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 uh, to cut the grass or make the, get the hay out, I don't know about agriculture, but you're dealing with all this different stuff. Grass is useless. Grass is pointless. He's saying, if I'm taking care of that, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown on the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, meaning the non-Christians, run after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, and this is the climax, this is the point that everything falls to up to this point. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So for the next couple minutes, we're just going to tap on worry. We're just going to poke it a little bit. I do not have it figured out. I do not have it perfected, and I probably never will. But what Jesus is saying here is that if your priorities are straight, then the worry will fall into place with it too. That doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. That doesn't mean you're not going to have issues. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have a sense of worry, but we want to talk about three misconceptions. Number one, he isn't saying that our material needs aren't important. Whenever he's talking about your food and about clothes, it's obvious that we need those things. Why is it that so many people around the world, whenever we see a a, a naked child in a third world country who's naked, there's something inside of us that says, that's not how it's supposed to be. Why is it that whenever your kid wakes up in the morning, the first thing you say is, hey, put on some clothes. Why is it that that's your first thing? Well, because if you look back in Genesis chapter one, the moment sin entered the world, what do Adam and Eve do? they realize that they're naked. Clothes are important. For us to even be able to move, it seems like we just need to eat more. Whenever um, Elijah was just coming down from Mount Carmel and all these people are chasing him and he's getting depressed and he says for God to take his life, the first thing that God does is send food for him because food is important. The physical aspect is important. So he's not saying that those things aren't important, but what he is saying is that you need to be aware of them, but don't let them rule you. The Greek word that, we, that he uses for worry here is merimanao. And merimanao means to be divided, to have competing priorities of in your life. Merimanao, and it's to be distracted. But we have to understand what that even means, to be distracted. It's easy for us to get distracted with, with, with things of the world. It's easy for us to get distracted in the way that we look, especially for middle schoolers and high schoolers. They're trying to figure out their identity. They're trying to figure out who they are, and they're being told all these different things about who they are and who they aren't. But to them, the most important thing in that moment is typically the way they look physically. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, stop caring about those things, that they're not important. He's saying, don't let them rule your life. Number two, this has probably been my favorite part. He isn't saying that you aren't important. 
in First Peter chapter five, he says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up, and in due time cast all of your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you." The reason that he's bringing this up is because he knows we're going to deal with it. And if this is happening in the first century, then odds are we're going to deal with it. Whenever we turn on the news, whenever we turn on social media, you would think that the world is absolutely falling apart. And he wants us to know that you are important. Your value to him is important. And don't let the devil tell you different. In Luke chapter 10, you have the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus comes to the house and they're trying to get the house ready and, and, and they're, they're, they're flipping out and Jesus is seen telling Martha that, hey, you're worried about so many things. You're worried about everything. And Martha was trying to clean the house up. She was running around. She was, and, and for some of you guys in here, you're that person. You have company over, so you better start making sure everything's clean. Don't go in my bathroom until I make sure that the, my kids flush that poo down. Make sure that whenever I go in that everything's good. Whenever they come to your house, you want to make sure everything is spotless. And that's exactly what Martha was doing. She was just being a good host, right? And yet Jesus says, you're worried about everything else, and you're missing why I'm even here to begin with. You're so worried about the little things and Mary's just sitting at the feet and he says, she's doing it right. Because being with Jesus in that moment was the most important thing. Not the way that the house looked. Not the way that, the, that, that maybe the food even was presented on a table. It was just being in the presence with Jesus. And I think we miss this. Your relationship with Jesus can't wait. Your relationship with Jesus can't wait. Parents, I'm going to talk to you for a second. What are your priorities? As parents, what are your priorities? This morning, um, I left the house, and I got a phone call shortly afterwards, and I had to drive back around about five minutes to go get these because Everly called me crying and said, Daddy, you forgot your necklace. So I get in my car, and I turn around, and I go get these silly Mardi Gras beads. And then I, I, I didn't get to kiss her bye because she was still in bed when I left the house. And, uh, and we, we, we pray every morning as a family, but we're teaching Everly how to pray, and it's awesome. But she runs to me, she hands me my beads, she puts them around my neck, and then I tell her, I'm like, hey, Daddy's, Daddy's preaching this morning, you, know, you want to pray? Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but Willis prays a family. And without hesitation, that kid just stops and she just starts praying. And as a father, that makes you excited. But what I'm not telling you is that last night she was going nuts on me for everything that I did. But as parents, we walk this fine line of what's right and what's wrong. So I'm just going to ask a few questions. Are you worried about what your kids will excel at? And what is it that they're excelling at? Are you worried about the next toy or the next gift? Are you worried about them having the best material things? Are you worried that they're the most liked or maybe the smartest? Maybe they have the best coaches to get them D1 into college so you don't have to pay for it. Are you worried about the amount of Bible that they know? Are you worried about how much they serve in church? Are you worried about how strong or how weak their relationship with Jesus is? And I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying you have to think. You need to ask yourselves those questions because if we believe they're the next generation, then what they're learning is coming from us. And even if you don't have kids, the same can be said about the people that you're around. What 
are your priorities? What are you showing to be a priority to you? Our concerns need to be more on what they need and not what they want. And the same can be said about you. It's not about what you want. It's about what you need because you matter. Number three, he isn't saying that all worry is sinful. These are one of those ones that I have to hear regularly. Understand that worry by itself has the potential to be a sin. There's too many verses to ignore that. If your day is consumed and your ideas and your priorities are consumed by worry, and maybe you are with me and that some days you fall for that. He's saying, don't be divided or distracted. There's a negative sense. But on the positive side of it, there's one called of having concern. That's another way that we can translate that word. Um, Mary Manao is concerned. You're concerned about the way about things are. You're concerned about what's happening in Israel. You're concerned about the way your kids are being raised. You're concerned about what's going on in your life. You're concerned about money. You're concerned about all this. You're concerned about that. That's a positive sense of worry. Not all worry is sinful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes that a person who isn't married doesn't need to worry because he can be fully concerned with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul also writes that as members of the body of Christ uh, should have a deep concern for one another. We know what it's like to be worried, but do we know what it's like to be concerned and do we understand the difference? We're concerned about raising kids. We're concerned about feeding our families. We're concerned about feeding ourselves. We're concerned about leading our families or leading our own spiritual lives. Maybe we're we're concerned about navigating all the cultural change is telling you to think this way and to think that way. And Jesus tells us that we should not have trouble. I mean, should not be worried because we are going to have trouble in this age, but to rest easy because he is in control. That's why he ends it by saying, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Craig Blomberg uh, sums up this whole section extremely well. When priorities regarding treasures in heaven and on earth are right, meaning we're talking today about competing priorities, how we want this and we want that. And he's saying that whenever your priorities regarding treasures in heaven, what we started out today with, in heaven and on earth are right, then God will provide fundamental human needs. Seeking first the righteousness of the kingdom implies obedience to all of Jesus' commands. By taking our focus off of our, he- off our earthly wants and putting them on our heavenly needs, we understand that all we need is to wake up, be dressed, have food. And he's saying, big picture here, remember that I got you. The competing priorities that we constantly will face say, hey, you're gonna want to look the best and you're gonna want your box to be perfect and you're gonna want the plastic to be perfect and you're gonna want the coloring to be perfect. He says, don't worry about the way that you look, worry about what's in you, which is me. Your competing priorities are saying, God will provide. And by taking our focus off of earthly treasures and putting them on heavenly treasures, we understand Who is in charge to begin with? So I can simply ask you this question. What are your priorities? What are the things that matter to you? What gives you joy? What gives you happiness? And can it be taken away? 
Because if your joy and your happiness are in things that can be taken away, you're going to get let down real quick. And instead, our joy and our happiness needs to be found in something that can't be stolen, that can't be destroyed, and that's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Again, I try to start my prayers off that way the best that I can to understand that we forget to say thank you. We're quick to condemn. We're quick to say, God, why would you let this happen? Why did you let people get sick? Why do you let people die? Why is all this war happening? And God, the answer is simple. It's people. But God, you have given us a path that leads to life. And it's not off ourselves, God, but it's only on you. It's only because of you. So God, thank you for using phrases like this, like to create in us a pure heart or maybe to, to refocus our priorities that we take away the, 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 the earthly treasures and we put them on heavenly treasures, things that can't be destroyed, things that can't be taken away to remind ourselves just how good you are and that it's not about what we do, but it's about what you did. So God, if there's anybody in here who is maybe struggling with that, who is trying to figure out, who is trying to, to, to maybe say like, hey, who is this God? Who is Jesus? And, and, and what does this look like? God, help them not to run from that question, but to be excited about the answer. You're never too far gone. You're never too broken. And Jesus still loves you. The same as he did yesterday. In your name I pray.